Hey everyone, and welcome back to Young to Live By. Now, we were talking with a few members of our Discord community lately about what drove them to come to this YouTube channel. And there does seem to be an archetype, if you like, that people follow through. And it's something like this. They were young, you know, somewhere between 20 and 35 in that range, generally speaking. Um, they were more nihilistic. They were more caught up in the more decadent, self-described parts of the culture war. Um, usually atheistic, and then Jordan Peterson came along, so they started being interested in Jordan Peterson and following quote-unquote his ideas and his way of viewing the world, uh, and then lots of these guys then came and found my older stuff on YouTube, and then they come to this YouTube channel. So Jordan Peterson, therefore, as a character, is relevant to the journey or the lived experience, the personal myth, if you like, of most of you guys watching these videos. So we got a question today from someone at the Merlin's Workshop tier on Patreon, and you can join this person too if you sign up at that tier or higher to ask us a question for us to kick it about on the YouTube channel. And it was very simply this. Wouldn't expressing your personal myth be creative? And if so, how does that compare to JBP saying very few people are creative? So we've got almost a juxtaposition here set up between what people may have experienced previously about psychology and how they can frame their own lives through the work of Jordan Peterson, and then this idea of creativity through the personal myth. So Steve answered this question by deferring to Anthony Stevens, who of course is a, he's right on the fringe of the orthodox Jungians, and I think he's got a pretty good take on what creativity is. So that's what we're talking about today, is breaking down truly what creativity is and how that can relate to the personal myth. So Steve, in the past, what do you think? That's a very interesting uh, question. I guess it depends what lens you look through. If you approach it from the lens of an academic psychologist, perhaps who's more versed in CBT than depth psychology, transpersonal psychology or humanistic psychology, you might well say that. However, all of those traditions, all of them value creativity in individual human beings and routinely employ them therapeutically. It also depends on how you define creativity. In uh, a psychiatric setting, for example, activity that is productive generally falls under the remit of occupational therapy, is considered to be creative. And these are with people who have suffered so much they can't function psychosocially. And they are disturbed in an internal sense to such an extent that they need medication and taking out of society and effectively incarcerated very often. Those people are still considered to be creative and to have a creative capacity. That's why the occupational therapy discipline exists. There was a Jungian therapeutic community in England, in the United Kingdom, called Withymead. Anthony Stevens, who is a psychiatrist, and he's a Jungian analyst, and he's also an experimental psychologist concerned with uh, animal as well as human behavior, worked at Withymead. Um, I have a book by him actually on the shelf, and oh, there it is. I don't know if you, if you can see that, but it's Withy Mead, A Jungian Community for the Healing Arts by Anthony Stevens. It's pertinent, because this man would certainly agree that creativity is something which is latent in all of us and has a massive healing and personal development element to it. 
also your, your personal myth fundamentally is just the through line of your life and how you've related to that the extent to which it's conscious is the extent to which you can engage with it in a directed way if you're not engaged with this in a directed way it will still engage with you but it will be undirected in the sense that you will not be ego involved with it but it will still be pushing you towards your fulfillment and in that sense whatever capacity you have to be creative will be actualized so again uh, i would say that um, personal development personal myth and creativity are intimately linked and they're involved uh, with all of us the only way i could reconcile that with my own personal understanding would be to take the perspective of academic psychology and cognitive behavior therapy which being so abstract is disconnected from most of the dimensions of creativity of human life. There's a tendency to see things in terms of the polarity of rational versus irrational, which may seem as if it sounds like that is Jungian, partly because it's a polarity and Jungians are very fond of polarities and partly because of the specific one that divides so-called rational from the irrational. But anyone with more than a superficial understanding of Jung's ideas and his theories and anyone who's lived this in practice not only in their own life but by engaging with other people will understand that it's a false dichotomy between the supposed polarity of rational and irrational there is a rationality in the irrational there is often an irrationality in what appears to be rational it's just a question of how you look at things and understand them Creativity can appear to be irrational because it emerges without conscious direction very often, even if it's something as simple as tending to a garden, which is a very humble activity. But Buddhists understand how important humble activities are in terms of engaging with life. And when you engage with life, you stimulate creativity. On the other hand, of course, again, if you consider creativity to be some kind of higher order, uh, factor connected with uh, an inflated IQ or an inflated sense of somebody's IQ, then you might think that very, very few people have it. But I would reckon by far um, creativity is more evenly distributed than intelligence quotient is of the kind that's normally measured through psychometric testing. And indeed, if you're going to work therapeutically with people, it is a creative process because people are creating themselves actively. At whatever level of final outcome that may be. So creativity is massively important. Of course, if you have a high potential for creativity and you don't actualize it, you're certainly going to become neurotic as a result because that pressure emerges from within. And as it's so closely connected to the instinct to self-actualize or self-realize, it brokers no opposition to itself or at least no easy opposition. And if you repress your creativity, you will disturb your equilibrium, both internally and externally. And then when you tackle that and the changes occur on the outside and the inside, there'll be tremendous changes occurring across the board, not just for you, but for all the people you interact with and perhaps for society as a whole. But that same person may take an IQ test and not score above average, may well even be below average. It doesn't matter. Creativity is its own justification in those terms, the terms where it's positive and it's good for the individual and for society as a whole. 
if, however, you say, well, you're not creative unless you're someone like uh, Solzhenitsyn or Dostoevsky or any of these, or Nietzsche or Jung, and then you say, those guys were creative, and unless you're in that league, you're not creative. Therefore, it is rare. Well, you know, that's almost eugenic in a psychological sense, and reducing their creativity to some kind of elite pursuit. And it isn't, demonstrably, it isn't. It's just an elementary factor of human life. Otherwise, it would be like saying, simply wanting to grow up and adapt socially is an elite thing. It isn't, it's natural. The normal maturation process isn't elite, it's natural. The extent to which we engage with it partly determines the outcome, but it has nothing to do with intelligence. That has more to do with the essential nature of your spirit than anything else. And in terms of the personal uh, myth anyway, the, the whole point of that is to understand your personal equation at the time at which you become conscious of your personal myth. That's a defining moment in your lifespan and your development. It's only then that you can truly consciously individuate. You can certainly individuate in absentia of that, in absentia of being conscious of it, because it's a natural process. Therefore, pretty much everybody actually individuates, and they may do so in fits and starts. Does that make it a higher order skill? No, it's just natural. Is individuation creative? Definitely, because it creates the individual. It's the unfolding of their genome, of their lifespan potential. But there are people who try to suggest that it is some kind of elite process that requires special knowledge and training. It doesn't. It really doesn't. There are a few people, a very few people, who because of their psychological and genetic makeup are cursed with a certain valency of potential, which means that they suffer in order to actualize it. And you might say, well, it's special for them. Well, perhaps it is. But in essence, it isn't. It's a natural process. For sure, people suffer from their latent potential because of the pressure of instincts to push someone to actualize it. But that doesn't make it an elite process. It just means that you're cursed with the necessity of developing to meet your particular level of potential. It's still creative. Creativity is universal. Universal. It's not for the few. It's for all of us. And very often it happens whether we like it or not. So I guess to answer the question in brief, it just depends on your definition of what creativity is. Mine is that it's natural and it happens anyway and that it should happen within psychotherapy. It tends not to happen in psychoreductive therapies that are hyper-rational in a unipolar sense, such as CBT. You tend to find that kind of approach housed, if you like, within university psychology departments. You also tend to find it expressed through clinical psychologists. They nurture that kind of unipolar thinking and hyper-rationalism but you won't be able to reach people in depth if you do that. If you add on to that some kind of elitist notion that only people like great writers or great psychological thinkers or whatever it may be can be creative, that is a kind of psychological eugenics. It's not good. Not good to have that approach in a therapist. The number of people that you can reach effectively in a healing sense will be limited but the number of people that you could potentially harm through that suggestion is almost without limit, particularly within 
a particular population that has specific vulnerabilities to do with their identity and their capacity to self-actualize. Not good at all, in my view, for a therapist. And that's a personal view, very personal. But I stand by it because my 40 years of clinical experience, my 63 years of lived life experience suggest that that's the case. And I've not yet encountered anything of sufficient strength to contradict that view. If I did, of course, I would adopt that. But no, I can't. I'm, I'm humanistic fundamentally in terms of my value set. I find that's the best way to approach other people, to look for what's good and what's positive in them. And if you help them to nurture that, that is a creative process in and of itself. So in broad terms, that would be my response to that particular question. Thank you for watching this episode of Young to Live By. If you haven't already, make sure you download our free PDF for integrating your shadow. It includes the most advanced theory on the topic available anywhere on the internet, as well as a full practical breakdown. If you've ever wanted to integrate your shadow, this is honestly the way to do it. Thanks again for watching and take care.